What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into the new edition of the Vol Fanatic Show. It is 2024. We're ringing in the new year. We're going to have a great time carrying this show all year for you guys into the rest of the basketball season, into baseball season, etc. But today, man, we got three big segments that we're going to talk about. If you're joining live here on YouTube, we really do appreciate it. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as always, we appreciate you. My name is Skylar. Michael, how are we doing, brother? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, man. Uh, we're doing pretty good. We're excited to be back live with you guys again. Uh, we did take two weeks off, uh, spent time with the family over over uh, Christmas and New Year's. So we are back with you now. And uh, right now, no plans to, to take Sundays off. Of course, that, that could change as things come along, you know. Family comes first to us, so if something comes up with the family, then we do uh, we put that priority first before we put y'all second. But it is a close second, I will say that. Um, Skylar, how was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? How, how was all that, man? Man, we ran a round. Uh, <laughs> so the first week of Christmas, kind of from like the twenty first to the twenty sixth, we were in Texas. Um, got to go see some family out there. Uh, really enjoyed that. Love flying, love flying during Christmas. It's it's always great. Um, but no, man, we got to spend Christmas, I think, with almost everybody in the family, which is what it's all about. Now, obviously, the week afterwards, you're already back at work and you're like, man, we didn't even really take a break, but at least <laughs> we got to see everybody and that's what it's all about. Um, but what about you, brother? How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the running around thing. We, we went and uh, did Christmas with all of uh, my side of the family did it with um, the wife's side of the family as well. And then over New Year's, uh, wife and I took a trip to Gatlinburg and spent the New Year's up there. And that, that leads into the, the shout out of the week. I, I'm going to cop out this week and my shout out is going to be my wife. Uh, we had a fantastic trip to Gatlinburg over New Year's. Um, Went to the DC Stampede one night, uh, went up on Anakista, spent some time there, did a bunch of things in the Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge area. Um, ate at Calhoun's for the first time. Um, there you go. Man, Calhoun's was awesome. Uh, but our favorite part was the Apple Bar, man. We we went there uh, Friday night when we got up there and ate dinner and actually went back Monday morning for breakfast before we left out. So that was by far our favorite part of Apple Barn is not a paid endorsement, but I am endorsing them. So uh, there you go. Who, who is your uh, shout out for, for this week? Honestly, it, it really has nothing to do with the show, but just shout out to all the families that make the sacrifices to make it work for the family. Um, I know everybody wants to do Christmas on Christmas day. And I mean, that's the goal. That's what we do. But you know, sometimes that's just impossible for people that have to go everywhere. So shout out to all the families that understand that and don't mind having a Christmas on another weekend or the day after or something like that to where it really better suits for, for everybody. Because at the end of the day, you know, Christmas Day is important, um, but being able to spend it with the family, at least to me and the way I was raised, was always a little bit more important than the day itself. So just shout out to all the families that made that happen. And if you can't, and I completely understand, um, and I'm not just saying that like if they didn't work around us, then, you know, screw you. No, I, I'm talking about like working around it for the whole family. Like what's the purpose of making Christmas on Christmas day? If you can only have 25% of the family there, you know what I'm saying? So exactly. shout out to all those families that, that make it work for the majority of the family, because at the end of the day, 
Um, if you're blessed to have a bigger family, um, like me and my wife, we both have, you know, like four sides. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, just massive shout out to those families that make it work. Cause it really made it easier on us being able to hit up everybody. So massive yeah, shout out. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's get into the, the first segment is one that we have been dying to, to get to for the days at this point. Who has it? Who has it? In Iowa, the the bowl game, Tennessee just trounces Iowa thirty five to nothing. Skylar, what are your initial thoughts on this game, man? All right, I don't want to overreact here um, because I've seen a lot of people do it. Um, There's been a lot of people that have been overreacting, and I'm glad that you start off like that because I, I want to pump the brakes on it a little bit as well. No, I don't. Nico's going to win the Heisman. <laughs> I was just saying that, you know, I like it's, it's I, how could he not, dude? Like, let's compare this. No, I'm joking. Um, as good of a day as we had, man, we had a lot of opt outs. And I know that was the story of the bowl game, of the bowl season, is opt outs, opt outs, opt outs. I mean, look at Florida State. Florida State had the audacity, and like the whole fan base had the audacity to say after Bama lost that they should have been in. But they're not going to credit the fact that they got absolutely trounced by 60 to a team that wasn't even in the playoffs, right? And yeah. so I guess the point of the issue is is Tennessee probably had more opt-outs than a lot of teams, especially more than Iowa. But we didn't let that be an excuse on how we perform. In fact, I think we might have even performed better than we could have had we had, had everybody because I think those kids that were out there – that Saturday morning or that Saturday afternoon on January 1st had something to prove. Right. And they did it uh, as good of a day as Nico had. Right. I think he had three rushing touchdowns, a passing touchdown, man, our defense played so good. And like, there was literally our secondary had Jayla McCullough, Gabe, Judy Lolly, and the rest were like incoming freshmen. Right. And yeah. uh, you had Andre Turrentine, who's not a freshman and he played a, baller of a game dude but those are the guys that we're going to see step up here next season and man they gave us a lot to be proud of they gave us a lot to be the whole team did um I, i'm very excited about what I, I know we don't put too much into bowl games because it's really just the cap of the season not necessarily a preview of the next but for us it kind of was a preview of the next year and that's a stout defense by iowa i don't want to i don't want to short that at all but we still found a way to move the ball had a complete game, you know, complimentary game, special teams. Our punter, Jackson Ross, I know after the game Nico had, you're like, how are you talking about the punter? But, dude, he pinned it inside the 10 like three or four times. I mean, it was insane. So, yeah, uh, just, in, yeah inside the 20 here, he had four of his seven punts were inside the 20. Whereas I, I don't have the inside the 10 stats on right. that. Four out of seven inside the 20, that is very impressive. It's it's great, man. And and he started out that you're shaky, right? Everybody's like, who is this guy? Why does he run with the ball? It's so inconsistent. And, and man, not only really... that, his first punt of the game went out of bounds was a shanked punt as well against yeah. Iowa. But then from there, he did what he needed to do. He adjusted, and he had a fantastic game. Did a great job. Did a great job. Um, full, complete game. Tennessee got the win 35 to nothing over Iowa. I kind of want to get your thoughts. That was my initial thoughts. What What are yours? Yeah, so the the offense was very impressive uh, for Tennessee. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I think it was just them feeling it out against an opponent other than themselves. And once they finally felt it out, they 
Iowa just couldn't stop them. And you mentioned it. Iowa has got a fantastic defense, but they also have not played against a team like Tennessee all year long. The tempo, the style of play, all of that. And I, I really think that it just ended up gassing Iowa um, towards the end. Now, two players on Iowa's team just absolutely stood out. Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson, they were all over the place, especially Jay Higgins. He has 16 total tackles, and 14 of them were solo tackles by himself. I mean, just impressive overall. He also had a sack on Nico, another tackle for loss. I mean, he was all over the place. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned Tennessee's defense also played very well, and they did. I don't want to take anything away from them. But you do also got to mention just how bad Iowa's offense is. I mean, Iowa, yeah. Iowa going into it, um, they they were ranked 130 out of 133 FBS teams in total offense, and it absolutely showed. And I was listening to uh, Tyler and Will on 99-1 this past week, and they hit the nail on the head, man. They said all of these guys for Tennessee, they will never – play an offense this bad again. And that includes playing against teams like Vanderbilt or uh, not saying the NC State's got a bad offense, but, you know, NC State, Kentucky, j- just naming off a few teams that don't always have the best offenses. They will never play another team that has an offense that is this bad like this Iowa team did. But a credit to Tennessee, they did what they had to do in that game, offensively, defensively. You mentioned it. They played an all-around fantastic game. Were there mistakes? Absolutely. But there's always going to be mistakes, and you can build on those. And I am very excited going into next season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I agree with you 100%. In fact, you know, I I do want to make mention, Nico got the MVP. um, Three rushing touchdowns, passing touchdown. Didn't have the best, um, you know, numbers throwing the ball. But, you know, to be honest with you, watching the game, they didn't really ask him to do too much throwing the ball. Uh, Very... Very much in control of the game, though. Uh, for a true freshman to come in, he had control of that offensive line. He was making reads. Now, unfortunately, the offensive line kind of let him down a lot. And where I want to see Nico grow, if I can be picky about it, is, man, that kid can make some plays off schedule. How That's like so 180 of how Joe Milton was all year, right? Yeah. Um, but and not saying anything bad about Joe Milton. It's just that's the no. way he He's not good at the off schedule plays, but he is a very good quarterback. Nico has got things to learn at being a quarterback, but he can make those those unscheduled, off-scheduled plays. Like it's yeah, and I'm so tired of hearing people like, man, Nico should have been the guy all along. Like, no, no, no. you can't judge that off of a uh, Iowa team. Like, you can't judge that based off of the situation either. I mean, you got a you got a 24 year old competing against a 17, 18, 19 year old. Um, like, no, Joe Milton was our guy, and he was a great quarterback. Like, I know he gets a lot of slack, but he only gets that much slack because of who he came in afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. He came in after Hendon Hooker, and we all loved him, and we love him a lot more because of who he beat, right? Florida and Alabama. Yeah. Asking Joe Milton to come in there and do that in his one year, I mean, it's just unfair, and to, to hold him to that standard, um, even though that is our standard, was just uh, unfair to him. And at the end of the day, he went 8-4. and four. Had he protected the ball, I know he had a few head scratching interceptions, but I mean, I think his total numbers are somewhere around twenty something touchdowns to five interceptions. Yeah, you can't ask for much better than that. I mean, um, Joe Milton, he he still he still accounted for like what was it thirty five hundred yards of total offense this year? Oh yeah, and and, and our quarterbacks are going to do that kind of like 
as a given just because of the offense that we run. But at the end of the day, Joe Milton's just a good dude. He's a likable dude. Like you can say what you want about him, but he really cared about this team. He cared about the players within it. And uh, I think the coaches and himself bought in and that's the type of player I want, you know, like in this day and age, I want somebody that's just proud to wear that tee. And I truly believe Joe Milton was proud to wear that tee. Oh, 100% um, because uh, he really wanted to play in that bowl game. Um, yeah, he did. That, that's why he took so long before he said that he was going to uh, opt out for the NFL draft. And I don't know the exact conversation that went on inside the locker room with Josh Heupel. Nobody does except for the people inside that locker room. But I truly believe that I, I do know that Joe was very hesitant. He he wanted to play, but at the same time, he's like, you know, I also got to think about my future here. Do, do I want to go ahead and get ready for the senior bowl, get prepared? Is that is going to be what what helps me the most is playing in that senior bowl, doing well in the senior bowl. I really believe that the conversation went down as to Joe coming and talking to Heupel, Josh Heupel saying, look, we would love for you to play. But if you decide not to play, I'm totally fine with that. We've got a guy that's ready to go, but I want you to be there. And Joe Milton said, done. I'm going to be there. And he was. He was on the sideline, the first one to greet Nico each and every time that he came off the field. So 100%, you you hit the nail on the head. He's the guy that loves wearing that power tee. And, you know, you, you may mention uh, our last show before Christmas, what is a Vol for Life? Who would you consider a Vol for Life? Joe Milton is 100% of all for life. Even though he started his career at Michigan, he came into Tennessee. He embodied everything that is a ball for life wearing that power tee. 100%. And to get back to the game, Nico, like I said, he controlled the offense. He makes plays off script. And the one thing I'd love to see him do a little bit better of is if the play's not there, just throw the ball away. Right. I think we've seen that on several plays where he tried to make something out of nothing, which is I love that. I love that. Josh Jobs was so good at it. Right. Hendon Hooker, really good at it. I think Nico Iamaliava is going to be really good at it. Right. But there was some times that during that game that there, it was just impossible. And he was outside the pocket. Just dump it, kid. Like save your body and play for the next down. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I am going to say this not as a disrespect to Nico. I wish there was two MVP awards because there was a guy that we haven't touched about on the defensive side that absolutely signed his NFL rookie contract <laughs> during that game as a sophomore. And it's, it's a kid that we talked about week one, week zero, really. My, my James, exact words was, all fans remember the name, James Pierce the Jr. Name. He balled out, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you, we're talking about a guy that got a strip sack inside the five-yard line, set up an easy touchdown. We're talking about a guy that had nearly a 50-yard pick six. I mean, you you got a DN running a four four forty dog like that's it's no shot, man. Um, what a game by James Pierce Jr. And honestly, I think everybody got so wrapped up in the Nico hype, and he had a hell of a game. Please do not disregard that. But you put that type of defensive performance on any other team, any other game, and I think that guy wins the MVP nine times out of ten. And so I'm here saying it right now, Nico. You played a hell of a game, and you deserve that MVP. But I really wish there was a defensive MVP. Because my man James Pierce Jr. played hard, and he deserved it 100%. And I know there's other people on the defense that play great, but my God, dude, I'm so excited for what this kid's got in the future. Yeah, 
James Pierce Jr. and um, you, you mentioned earlier, Andre Turrentine had a fantastic game, had a incredible interception that it. I'm going to credit that to Gabe Judy Lolly, by the way. If you've seen that play over and over, you see Gabe push him, push him into the line, and then he makes that diving catch. That was pretty awesome. It, and, and you're you're right on that, but also. He the way that he kind of played center field there and just read the quarterback's eyes and got over there where uh where Gabe could push him into that it it was it just his awareness was impressive. I mean, it, you mentioned there was a lot of great plays on defense all the way around uh but especially James Pierce Jr. uh he's he he's incredible and him coming back along with the other guys coming back next year and the new guys coming in did you see Jordan Ross, the, the strip sack that he had in the All-American game? I did. He, I mean, he's, he's, he's a man amongst boys. Yeah, he, he's having him come in, a five-star defensive end come in, along with keeping James Pierce Jr., got Elijah Herring coming back next year. Tyree West. Had yeah, a hell Tyree game. West, uh, Amari Thomas in the middle. That Joshua Joseph. Line. Yeah, Joshua Joseph. I mean, we, we could go on and on with the names down this list. I'm excited about this. You know what I credit? You know what I credit that to though? From What's day that? one, from day one, my man uh Rodney Gardner, Coach G, right, has been rotating guys left and right. And it's frustrated us as fans. We're like, man, it's third down. Why do you not have Tyler Barron and Byron Young out there? Right. And he did for the most part, right? But he rotated guys so much, even when he didn't have them, right? Even when he didn't have the dudes. But now that he's got the dudes and he's been rotating them. We've got like seven to eight to eight, ten defensive linemen that can play on any given down and can get you the exact same results that you need to go in a football game. And I, uh, I'm getting chills, bro. Our defensive line has not been as scary as it is since I remember watching Tennessee football. Absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned it, Rodney Garner there. If there is any coach on that staff, that you've got to make sure that you keep. And I don't believe Rodney Gordon is going to leave. No, Rodney Gordon is not going to believe. I believe he is going to end up retiring from his coaching career as a, a Vol assistant coach. But if there is any guy you've got to make sure you keep on that staff, it is Rodney Garner. He, the agree. players love him. The job that he's done, as you mentioned, is incredible. Just outstanding job by Rodney Garner on that defensive line. Absolutely. Um, but – Let's talk about Iowa here for just a little bit, even though we're a Tennessee podcast. We want to talk about the loser second. That's how we do it. Uh, was his name Deacon Hill? Yeah, Deacon yeah, Hill. Deacon oh. Hill. Um, looked like a whole dad out there playing quarterback in the nicest way I could put that. Um, Definitely had the dad bod, that's for sure. I mean, and I do too, brother, but I know I ain't got a game on Saturday. Like, I, I mean, I know for a fact I'm not playing on Saturday. The team doesn't need me, so I'm not going to go run. But that kid, I just uh, – man, he's he's bad. I mean, I don't know how to put it in a nice way. There was a play where he kind of scrambled out to the right, and my man – I think it was Tyree West was chasing him down or somebody, and he just, like, gave up. Like, he straight just, up huddled up and took the sack when – if you could think for that long to do that, why not throw the ball away? Yeah. I don't I don't know. Like just so many head scratching things that he did, his decision making, that interception in the red zone, which it was a great play by Andre Turrentine. Um, great coverage, but that's just a bonehead move by that kid right there for Iowa. And it it really sucked the life out of that team for the rest of the game. 
And did, did they um, even cross the fifty again until the backup Marco uh, Linez came in? So I know the backup crossed. I think they did actually. Deacon Hill and the team got past the fifty several times, but then I know we had a couple of sacks, and I, I want to say they missed a field goal or something strange happened. I don't know. It's I watched the game like the day after because I knew I couldn't hear it. I was at a Christmas party. I couldn't hear the game, so I wanted to watch it again. Um, I know they crossed the fifty again, but it, but you almost knew that they weren't going to score um, yeah. because anytime they got a first down, it was like they had to play out of their minds and get lucky to get the first down to begin with. I mean, our defense played so good, but now when you're playing a team that can't run the ball, or let me excuse me, when you're playing a team that can't throw the ball. You get to play man coverage, maybe play one, two high safety, but even two high safety is a little much. You can stack six, seven guys in the box and stop the run pretty easily. And when you got linebackers that are as athletic as ours, you can get away with putting that extra guy in the box and still being able to cover the flats the way we did. Um, Now, again, Iowa's offense is really bad. Mm -hmm. So – you're not going to be able to do that to every team. That's why I don't want to put too much stock into this game, at least defensively. But really love what I've seen out of our boys and very excited about Nico, man. I, freshman, true freshman quarterbacks to play and start in a bowl game and his stats right there at the top. And I'm talking Peyton Manning, uh, Tyler Bray. I want to say Casey Clawson. Um, I, I don't think you might be right. I, it, I don't think it was Ainge. I think it was Clawson. No, Ains um, did not start as a freshman in the bowl game. Yeah. So, I mean, you got those. I mean, he's in there with some great company, and he played He played like he was meant to be there, too. It wasn't like an accident. Like, I mean, the kid really handled the moment very well and really excited about next year, man. I hope he can lock down some quarterbacks in the in the, uh, in the the high school ranks, though, with Jake Merklinger already on campus. If we can lock down George McIntyre, which that decision is coming up soon, because let's be honest, our quarterback room is pretty thin. Um, if Nico goes down, if Nico goes down, we're down to it. But that's a that's a conversation for another day. Right now, it's all about the team and how we finish the year nine and four, and uh, solid year for Tennessee, man. Solid year. So, so talk, talking about Iowa again for a second. Did you see the the concerning moment that Iowa fans had in the post game press conference from their coach? I did not. What happened? It, the very first thing he said before he even asked for questions was. Before we get into this game, I just want to say let's focus on the 10 wins that we had this year. It was a fantastic year overall. You just got trounced 35 to nothing by Tennessee. This is the, I believe, third time this year that you've gotten beat and been shut out. I know for sure it's twice because it happened against Michigan and it happened against Tennessee in back-to-back games. And I believe it happened one other time this year. And the first thing you say is, let's focus on the 10 wins that we had this year. Yeah, Iowa versus, I think there are three ranked opponents, which was Michigan, Tennessee, and Penn State. Maybe. I'd I'd have to look it up. I don't know the third one. Please don't hold me to it. I think they brought it up during the game broadcast or something like that. It was 92 to nothing. 92 to nothing. If that doesn't allude to how bad the Big Ten is outside of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, I don't know what does. 
when you're talking about a team that point differential is so as bad as theirs is, and yet they're still found, they found a way to win 10 games. That's it's, it's crazy, man. But it, I, I just don't get how after three or four months of that, they couldn't find a way to generate some offense. Um, yeah, you're, like the you're lack right. of, I was right. Okay. Yeah, it, it was Penn yeah. State. That was the other ranked team that they played. Yeah, the lack of evolution, like the lack of just not wanting to change a thing, you know. But I think they had some weird stuff going on coaching wise. I think I don't know if it was a son of a coach or something like that. That was the offensive coordinator that got fired. I don't know, man. That was just a rough scene scenario, whatever you want to call it. But I'm not taking it away from our boys. We went out there. We played well despite the opt outs. Despite yeah. the opt outs, we went out there, and that game meant something to us. I hate it when losers lose a bowl game and be like, ah, that game didn't mean much. Not horse crap. It didn't mean much because you didn't you didn't win. You know, like Ohio State winning the game. Or not Ohio State, uh, Georgia winning the game against Florida State. Florida State coming out saying, oh, that game didn't mean nothing. Uh, bull crap. <laughs> if it didn't, it, Georgia wouldn't play the way they did. Yeah, it, it meant something to Georgia, all right. Exactly, man. I, it's just uh, it's, it's crazy the losing mentality that we have now. And I think some of that is some of that is the way the world's going, like in general, just the way people think. Another yeah. another part of that is the playoff. The playoff is so important to make the playoff, which it is, don't get me wrong, but it's almost like for a college football I don't know, like a kid can really just throw in the towel on a season and like throw away all the work they've done just because they didn't make a New Year's six or a playoff game. Like it's all it's right, pretty so, wild. So since we're on the topic right here, and yeah. if you don't if you don't know an answer today, you know we'll come back to this. What do you do to fix the opt out situation? Because it's a problem. All these players opting out, it is a problem for college football. What, what do you so, do? So you alluded to this uh, pre show, um, and it's a very good question because I'm a, I'm gonna allude opt outs with also the portal, kind of the same. I'm gonna put them together. It's not one thing, man. Like, it's a big issue that needs a lot of work done. But the first thing and the easiest thing to do is push back the freaking portal date. Push yes. back the portal date. The, having it in December before the bowl games, it, it's a real slap in the face to the players. Imagine a player who graduates from the University of Tennessee Loves Tennessee, but maybe he wants to go get a master's degree in something that Tennessee doesn't offer, and yet he still wants to play football because he's got one more year of eligibility. So he commits to Texas A&M because they have the they have the course, right? And he still gets to play football because he loves football. He loves Tennessee. That's why he graduated from here. But he's going to Texas A&M. This is a scenario I'm bringing up. But you're going to tell that kid that he can't make that move unless he basically enters the portal before the season's over with. So now he's having to quit on his team prior to playing his final game there. That is so unfair. Like, I, because I, to say, I mean, most casual fans are just going to say, well, if he's hitting the portal, he don't care about the team regardless. Like, no, that's not true. Um, there are certain scenarios out there that the kid really – really loves the school and that's why he graduates here but just but needs that master's degree somewhere else he, he might even know that his pro balls probably not realistic or something I don't, I don't know but i think the easiest thing that we can do right now especially to keep opt-outs or you know opt-outs to a minimum is moving that portal date back now you're still going to have your opt-outs from kids that are going pro 
but let's be honest, that's one or two percent of the athletes in totality. Um, if we're trying to keep these opt outs in for, because a, a kid is basically quitting on a team, we're going to need to push back that portal date to January. Think about it, dude. After bowl season, what the hell are they doing? It's dead period. There's absolutely nothing yeah. going on. That's when the portal needs to happen. In December, when you got the recruiting classes signing, getting on campus, you got bowl preparation going on. You're talking about the next season already. You're getting ready for a game. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to open up the portal during the midst of all of that. It, it's just too much, man. Yeah, it's there, just too there much. There it is right there. You you got that full play. I, I don't understand how coaches do it because you've got some coaches that are preparing for conference championships. You've got others that are preparing for bowl games, along with you got the early signing period in December. And you mentioned it on top of that, you're going to throw in that transfer portal too. It, there's just way too much going on in that whole Christmas time period. And these coaches are also trying to find time for their families as well. There's not yeah. enough. There, there's <laughs> yeah, not enough Christmas on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, absolutely. There's not enough to go around for those coaches right now. But, um, I think you're right. The transfer portal does need to be moved back. And I, I was going to save this for later. Um, but the, the question I had to you that I brought um, before the show was, what do you do to fix the transfer portal? And I, I I do think that you, you know, you can put the opt-outs and the transfer portal together. But I also want to kind of separate that. What what do you do to fix the transfer portal as far as all, the, the problem that the NCAA has with, players just being unhappy and transferring uh you got to limit the transfers you've got like let's talk about dj you because you a young is hard to say um yeah. dj you is transferring now for the third time in the third season in three seasons yeah. that's 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 ridiculous dude like that's insane now i understand if a coaching change Yep, that's a yeah. You go ahead, change for because you you probably committed as much to the school you committed to the coach, right? So if if there's yeah. a firing, transfer sure. But allowing a kid to transfer just off of feelings the first time, basically, or whenever time they choose it, based off of feelings, they get the one free transfer, and then you get a kid that can transfer when there's a coaching change, and then you can transfer when you graduate. That's three transfer opportunities. That's too much. That is too much. You can transfer during a coaching change. Or based off of feelings, like it should almost be like a trump yes. card. You shouldn't be able to do both. Um, so, uh, you know, one or the other. And then I agree that if you graduate, you should be able to transfer solely based on you don't know what that kid wants to get as far as a degree, master's degree, whatever the other school is going to be offering versus what your school offers. Because believe it or not, yep. not every college offers the same courses. So mm -hmm. um, that's why education is a big deal at Tennessee. I mean, that Tennessee does a great job in their education. Um but I think as far as amount of transfers, three is too much. Uh, limit it to two. Either you're not happy transfer or coach and change transfer. I don't think you should be able to do both. I, I agree. that That's a good point there. Either you, either you transfer because you're not happy or the coaches. But also when you commit to a school, because just a little side note, how many of these players – are transferring out after being at the school for one year because they're not just getting put on the field right away like they need to. I, I'm sure if you dug into the numbers, there's a bunch of those type of players. For that and in the last three years because of NIL money. Um, yeah. Well, you told me yeah, I was evaluating NIL. this. And, and something that I learned watching or listening to the EA show on 99.1 
is a lot of times these player evaluations, these numbers that you're seeing on these websites, they're not even getting fractions of that in real life money, like annually. Um, But I I do think they made a great point. So I'm going to credit them. They kind of mentioned, and it won't happen because the legalities is crazy. And it's not just that they commit to play football. They also compete or commit to get an education, but it would be like a, okay, this is how much you're going to make an NIL. And like a portion of that has to go toward your tuition. And yes, I agree. Um, you know what I mean? Cause I mean, that was NIL pre NIL is you didn't necessarily get paid right in cash or whatever in checks to go to a school, but you got your tuition free, which not that long ago meant a lot, <laughs> meant a lot to get education for free. Now it doesn't mean anything to these kids because I don't know. I know, but I I don't want to get down that road. Um, so I think I think that was something that they brought up that kind of made me think a little bit. Like, could they? And then really, they can't. There's no way they can do that. But um, yeah. they could so, revoke a scholarship. Could yes. if they don't commit, so, you know, four years. Another thing that that I bring up that I think would help fix some of it is you know. They need to make that letter of intent that they signed to go to the school almost like a contract where I think that, you know, you you have to be in college for football three years before you can go to the pros. I think that you should have to go to that school for two years before you decide to transfer. I, I know that I, there is other there, there's some other circumstances, you know, may, maybe you're not being treated fairly. And when I say treated fairly, I mean – you, you got situations kind of like what happened in Northwestern. Now, that's an extreme situation, but all the hazing incidents that went on under the, the Northwestern head coach, if you got situations like that right there, I think a player should be allowed to transfer. But I think when you sign that letter of intent, you're making a commitment to that school. You should have to be there for two years before you decide to transfer out. But I also agree with you, two transfers at the most. One, because of your situation. Two, because of the coaching change. That's either or. You don't get two transfers, but unfortunately, the the NCAA has approved two time transfers are automatically allowed to play. Yeah, I, I think you should have one of those transfers be either because of your your feelings at the school or the coaching change, and then the other one, as you mentioned, the grad transfer. I just I hate the whole. I hate the whole. Oh, I'm not happy. I'm leaving. No, you should have put more thought in that on your exactly. decision before. Exactly. You just commit to a school because they're giving you the best. I don't know, whatever. Um, yeah. But anyways, cheese it, Citrus Bowl, man. The Vols got it done, thirty-five to nothing over Iowa. Nico looked impressive. I think all the hype is there and deserved. And um, really looking forward to next year. Something you want to see the Vols uh, work on in the off season to work towards September and go. I, I'm just going to say continue to to get better at the little things. Uh, there was a lot of things that went well for Tennessee in that game, but there were some little things that uh, that they still have to work on. I think that you just fine-tune the little things, get everybody on the same page a little bit better, because there was times where not everybody was completely on the same page. But it was it was few and far between. Work, work on the little things, fine-tune them, and just get a lot of reps. And the more reps that you do in practice, the better that you're going to be um, overall going into the next season. 
But if I had to point out a place that I'm concerned about going into next season, that is offensive line. Gerald Mincy just transferred out after the bowl game. That is a big, big player on the offensive line for Tennessee. So do you go and get somebody out of the portal that can play right away? I know that Tennessee is looking at a couple of guys. Or do you bring up one of these younger guys to fill that spot? And I think you could go either way, but I'm leaning more towards the portal because Tennessee has had the opportunities to pull these younger guys up and have them fill their spots this past season because of all of the injuries on the offensive line. And they weren't there. Those guys just weren't ready for it yet. So the offensive line is a concern for me going into next season. That's something that you're really going to have to address. Um, What say you on things that they need to address in the offseason? Finishing it up. Not really things that they need to address, but things that I'm really excited about. Because things that they need to address is wide receiver room. And the the wide receiver room is for a different reason. (laughs) Brew. Coming back, baby. And that's going to help a lot. Because, let's be honest, Ramel Keaton wasn't really that exciting player that we had last year. Um, that, that, but I think a lot of that had to do with because they knew they had to key on him, and he wasn't good enough to beat that. Yeah. Brew is good enough that teams can key on him, and he's still going to go up and make a play for Nico. He is the one guy that Nico can straight up throw it up on the sideline and say, catch the damn ball. Excuse me. But I, I think him coming back – which I really – I called this a long time ago that I thought he was coming back. Um, I'm so glad I was right on that because I would have had to eat a lot of crow if he didn't. But I thought it was pretty clear. Um, if he wanted to go pro, which I think he could, I think he could, but it would be a lot like the Hen and Hooker situation where he wouldn't be able to practice in front of the scouts. All he would have to be able to do or all he could do is talk. Um which at the end of the day, especially at the wide receiver position in the NFL, is like one of the one of the most important positions outside of quarterback. Um, is is you know talking's not going to get you a, a third or second round pick. So him coming back, um, if he can be that leader, which he has been that leader for the team, um, I think that's the only way to really raise his draft stock. And I think that's why he's making the decision he's made to come back. And that's going to be the anchor for the wide receiver room, man, because let's be honest, Dante Thornton came in and we thought he was going to be that Jalen Hyatt 2.0. And he was getting there, but it took him like eight games to do it, and he got hurt during that game. Um, So hopefully we just need some depth at the wide receiver room. Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod came on strong. Um, Excuse me. Nathan Laycock, not sure what's going on with him. I thought he was going to play a lot more um, in the backup role than he did. but. You know, regardless, we need some guys. We got Colton Braswell coming in, or Colin Braswell coming in um, from Tulane, who is their number one guy. He's a very exciting player to watch. Very five excited star about Mike that. Five-star Mike Matthews as well. Five-star Mike Matthews coming in as a true freshman next year. Um, so that's why I say I think, the wide room, yeah, I think the wide receiver room is an issue for a different reason in the offensive line. I think that now – the wide receiver room has so much depth in there that you got to figure out who you're going to put on the field. Well, see, I, I disagree because, I mean, on paper, maybe. But what have these – I mean, other than Brew, what have these guys done? And Squirrel White's great, but even he, even it felt like he had kind of a down year this year, right? Or maybe not because he didn't play much last year. 
But I don't know. I think I think I was expecting a little bit more out of him. But you just don't have these guys that are proven on the field outside of Bruin Squirrel. So, uh, and Squirrel's not going to be your every down player like Brew's going to be, or you know, yeah. I don't know. They're they're going to have to figure it out, and I think they will. But I think you're right. On paper, they they look stacked in the wide receiver room. I just hope it translates. I guess that's my point or, or my concern because we've seen the running back room. We're going to be just fine. We're going to be just fine. In mm-hmm. fact, Dylan Sampson ran the ball against an, a defense that only gave up four rushing touchdowns, which Nico had three. He ran the ball 20 times for 133 yards, and uh, that's that's good for almost seven yards a carry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to be good. We're going to be solid. All right? And Cam Sells didn't have a bad day himself, so um, Man, just I, made a little I, bit of boneheaded moves on some short plays, but. Um, yeah, I, I've been a big fan of Cam Seldon since he first got on campus. I, I'm excited to see those two. You still got Khalifa Keith right behind him, yeah. and you're bringing in uh, what's his name, uh, Bell. No, we're that? bringing in uh, Peyton Lewis. Peyton, uh, yeah, Peyton Lewis. What, where did I come up with Bell? I, I don't uh, know. Probably the transfer from South Carolina. But Peyton Lewis is the four-star running back coming in. He's he's on campus now. He's going to be a now. Cam Sale looks like a whole running back dog. It's like it's just those third and ones. I think he did it on third and one several times during the Iowa game, where he kind of like too much tippy toeing, like just hit the hole, dude. Hit the hole yeah. even if it's not there. Um, but that's a freshman thing. We'll learn from it and we'll get better from it. But uh, you got any closing remarks from the game and from our volunteers to close out the twenty twenty three season? All, all I'm gonna say closing off is guys. Uh, Nico was fantastic in that game, but he's winning. <laughs> See that—that's what I'm talking about right there. Don't don't just go chips all in because he next year will be his first full year uh, as a starting quarterback, so he is going to have some growing pains. Now Look, I have he, to be realistic all season. This is the off season. I get to be unrealistic here. Okay, I get what you're trying to do, but let me. Let me fantasize just like I did about Joe Milton in the offseason <laughs> because I have to eat crow all year long, dude. This is my one chance to say we're the best again, dog. But, but so, that uh, that's the point right there is the, the hype that we all put on Joe Milton this past year, and we got disappointed because he didn't quite live up to that. So I, I think that Nico is going to be a fantastic player in the Tennessee uniform because the poise that he had in that game, how in control he was that offense – he was impressive, and I, I'm very excited for him. But I, I also want to just dial it down a few notches and just say, let's see what he can do for a full season first. But uh, I, I'm very excited going into the offseason for Tennessee. I, I, you had the nail on the head. I, this is this is going to be a fun offseason. Um, I expect the spring game to be – another 70,000 in attendance type spring game. It wasn't 70,000, but it was a lot. Felt like 100,000 because they crammed everybody on one half of the stadium. Um, but I think if we can put the pieces around Nico, which we're, we're starting to see that with some of these guys coming back, um, the, when you see stuff like that happening, you know the players believe in the player that's leading them. Yeah. That's what gets me excited because now it's not just the fans saying whatever they want to say. You got the players who get to practice with that kid every day, believing in what that kid's going to do this next season. And they're choosing to not go pro to come play with him. So, um, 
and Sean just commented that Nico has all the potential in the world. Uh, and, and I agree. But um, to what Michael's saying is sometimes when you have that type of hype in the offseason, you could go 10-2 and two and be pissed off because you really expected that much to go win a national championship, which yeah. is really unfair. It's really unfair for him. It's unfair on the team. But at the end of the day, Tennessee standards are – to, to be in the conversation, especially with the playoff going to 12 teams next year, um, we we better be in the conversation. Um, yep, absolutely. I, so I'm, I'm excited about it, ready, really looking forward to, to what the offseason has uh, coming for us.